Hi everyone and welcome to Small Talk. I'm your host, Maggie McIntyre, and today I am joined by retired head of MBA security, Bernie Tolbert. Bernie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be a part of it. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, well first I want to talk about your resume and how unbelievable it is. You have jobs such as you were a special agent in the FBI, you were a security manager for Coca-Cola, the senior vice president of security for HSBC Bank, and you were even the head of security for the NBA. That's all true. <laughs> well, growing up in Buffalo, did you imagine all of your successes? Well, I, to be honest, no. I, I think as a, as a child growing up, you, know, you don't think of those kinds of things. As I got older, even uh, through college, no, I, I never thought I'd leave Buffalo. I was a social worker by education. I have a master's degree in social work, and I figured I'd be a social worker somewhere in Buffalo. But, you know, this, 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 this old saying about being in the right place at the right time, and right. there you go. Yeah, and you mentioned your degree in social work. How did that even get you connected with the FBI? Well, I was at a career day. I was a social worker in a community agency in Buffalo, and I was at a career day at one of our local colleges talking about careers in social work. And during, as the best I remember, that was a while ago, but during some downtime, I was just kind of killing time looking at some of the other uh, displays. They displays had a lot of companies and agencies there. And like I said, I was killing some time in between presentations or something and uh, stopped at the FBI table and the agent recruiter at the time who was really very good at his job, he kind of pounced on me and just would not let me go and just kept telling me you should be an FBI agent. And I had no interest at all, but I just to get him off my back and then leave me alone, I said, okay, send me the application. <laughs> that got the ball rolling. And I will say, uh, very fortuitous for me because of all the things I've done, being an FBI agent was the very best in being uh, retired as a special agent in charge of the Buffalo Division, which is my hometown. Right. And that was like the you know, icing on the cake for me. Right. And I know you were a college athlete. Uh, you ran track, correct? That's true. Did you want to stay in sports eventually? or? Well, what, what kid doesn't want to stay in sports? Right. And, you know, I spent so many... So often I've talked to, talk to young people in, in high school and at the college level, and I'd always tell them, you know, that's fine. Don't that's your, if that's your dream, you know, put everything into it, go for it. But have a plan, have something. Uh, if you don't make it, because quite honestly, as good as you are, uh, you might be the you know the star on your high school team. But right. by the time you get to college, you might be the, you know, the last player on the bench, and, and even the stars in college, the number one player on the team. It's not very likely that many of them will make the pro. So, but yeah, I I, I never uh, I always wanted to be, but I thought I like. Probably every young person, I thought I could do it. And even to this day, I think back. Say, oh, I wonder what. I wonder what if. But right. realistically, no. I was I was good at track. I was a jumper, a high jumper, long jumper, and a triple jumper. And uh, at my day, in my time, I was I was pretty good. But there was at that time there was no such thing as professional track circuit, so you couldn't make a living. So yeah, so you had to figure out another way. Right, exactly. I'm not sure how much you're able to share about your job with the FBI, but can you mention a few of your favorite parts of working that job? Well, favorite part, I think the very favorite part of working in an FBI agent, or even working in the FBI, is that you work with what I think are the, the, the brightest uh, people in, in the profession. People, who, everyone who goes to the FBI becomes an agent, certainly, is that 
you know, they're, they're top in their particular categories because the FBI gets so many applicants applying for the, right. the special agent positions. You know, I don't know the exact numbers more, but a very, very small percentage make it. So my thought has always been if you can make it, that means you're the best of the best. So being being around people in the FBI that I worked with is probably one of the most fulfilling things. They, it's tough not to do well um, because you've got so many people around you who are hard workers. You know, if you're not, you stand out very quickly. Yeah. So that I enjoyed. I also enjoyed the variety of, of work that you do. Uh, if, if you work for the DEA, for example, you know, you, their, their primary mission is drugs, and that's what they—that's what you'll spend your time working. But in the FBI, they have a number of investigative categories that they have jurisdiction in. It includes counterintelligence, counterterrorism, drugs, white-collar crime, violent crime. So you get a chance to do a bunch of different things. So I've enjoyed working, although the large majority of my career was spent in counterintelligence and counterterrorism. I've enjoyed working when I worked violent crimes. I, I enjoyed those aspects. I was particularly good at developing informants, so I had a lot of luck with bank robberies, getting people to you know, tell me what I needed to know. So, But across the board, I, I, I enjoyed almost everything I've done in the FBI. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've pretty much seen it all. Well, I've seen a lot, and if I had my way, I'd still be there. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like I said, the best job I had, and I could still do what I was doing when I retired. You know, as a, as an executive, senior executive, you, you don't you aren't on the street chasing down bad guys. And I could, you know, you sat behind the desk and you know did a lot of administrative things, policy right. things, and, and I could do that just as well now as I was doing twenty years ago when I was the agent in charge. But there's a mandatory retirement and. So you have to leave. Yeah. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, that's good. Now I want to jump into your time at the NBA. How did that opportunity come about? Actually, I was working at Coca-Cola in Atlanta, and my family was still in Buffalo, so I was kind of commuting. Uh, the, the way I got to Coca-Cola, I was at my desk in Buffalo one day, and I got a call out of the blue from Coca-Cola asking me if I'd be interested in working there. And, and I, I wasn't, I had, like I said, the, my the best part of my career was being the special agent in charge right. here at home in Buffalo. But uh, they weren't going to leave me there. I'd been there for a few years. I know, I knew that I my time in Buffalo was short. So when I got this offer, I figured, well, was, I'm not mandatory retirement age yet. I still had, a, you know, four or five more years. But I knew that at some point I'd have to retire. And so I figured I'd go on my own terms. And I had a, it was a good offer. So that's how I got to Coca-Cola. Okay. And I was... I was there, and I was lucky enough to get another call from HSBC Bank uh, saying, we'd like you to consider being our senior vice president. And it was it been going back home to Buffalo. And so I thought, that's a good deal. I had kids in, in high school and college, and I was commuting kind of back and forth. So I took that opportunity. But before I could um, get back to Buffalo, leave Coca-Cola and Atlanta, I got a call that's just a week or so before I was about to leave, and it was from a headhunter in New York, and they wanted to talk to me about what they called the best sports job in the country. Okay. And um, that's how I got I, I, At the time, I had must be head of security for the NFL. I'm a, I'm a big football, I'm a big sports nut right. across the board, but football is probably the thing I've always, I enjoy most, and so I... Um, thought that was it but as we as I met with them and talked to them we found out it was the NBA and, and that's how I ended up getting there I, I 
ended up taking the, I ended up going to the bank and I worked there for a couple few months when I when they when I got a call and they said they you know they were going to recommend my name to the league so wow. that's how I got to the NBA and it went, at that too was a great job it, like it offered me some experiences I would have never ever had a chance to be a part of um, so yeah well I was going to ask what would a typical day be like well, it, it, you know, it really kind of depends because um, it, it, during the season, a typical day would be pretty much getting into the office, looking at the reports from in, in every city where we had an NBA team uh, and a WNBA team and a development league team. Uh, I had uh, what we call security reps okay. who would uh, go to every game and they'd uh, could conduct security surveys, things that the arenas and the teams were required to do. They check on them, and then they file a report to the, to the league office. We get those and go through them and see if there are any issues, any problems, any concerns that we need to bring to um, bring to management, uh, the commissioner, deputy commissioners, or basketball operations folks to their attention. So that would be a part of it. But there were other things. There were investigations if something happened on the court, uh, an incident. Right. A fight or something, or or something happened in a club afterwards. Players were out, and there was something that got uh, got them to be come in contact with law enforcement. We'd have to do an investigation. So those would be typical during the day. You're you're calling players, interviewing them, uh, manage coaches, managers, sometimes even owners. Uh, I, many times I had to call an owner to ask uh, questions about an investigation we were conducting. And uh, then there, the, another big part of what we did, even during the season, uh, was uh, planning for special events, things like the Olympics, uh, playoffs, right. uh, the, the NBA events that were happening in other countries, and uh, the, the draft, uh, the draft lottery, all of those. So a lot of time was spent making plans for events that were having and when I was there I'm not sure if they still do I, I would think they do but the NBA had a program called Basketball Without Borders where we would take uh, players coaches from uh, to different continents four different continents and run camps for the top junior players and those the security for those events were the, came under the responsibility of the NBA security department so we'd spend time planning for those okay well I feel like you had a lot going on. Did you ever feel like there was a lot of pressure involved with this title? Well, the title, the title wasn't pressure. The work <laughs> might have been pressure. Right. Uh, yeah, there it is. I think in any profession, when something goes wrong, if there's an incident or if there's concerns, um, a lot of people look to security, especially after 9-11, yeah. when our country became very skittish about uh, things happening that could cause great harm. So... Uh, yeah, there there was pressure. There was pressure to get it done right. You know, pressure to, to answer to the higher ups at the NBA, whether it's a commissioner, deputy commissioner, or people who had expectations, trying to make sure we met those expectations that we kept our players, our arenas, and our fans safe, as well as our staff, that we kept them safe from harm. So, right. yeah, I guess in that sense, there was pressure. And like I said, being in you know, league offices or headquartered in New York City. And certainly New York City is kind of an epicenter for things that have and might go wrong. Not that that's the only place that, right. but, you know, there's always always a lot, lot going on in New York. And, and people were probably rightfully very concerned about their well-being. So a lot yeah. of times I'd get calls from a, 
the staff person saying things. I remember getting a call from my said, hey, there's some planes flying low over the Hudson River. You know, are we under attack or something along those lines? So, you know, make sure you can answer those questions and calm the fears and let people know that, you know, they were safe in the NBA environment. That yeah. was a big part of it. Well, you mentioned, you know, calming people's fears and there's a lot going on, especially pregame, postgame. Did you see some common themes from um, a lot of players that you had to watch out for? Well, I mean, you know, players are, are young guys. They're, I won't call them kids, but you know, they're young. A lot of them are in their teens or very early 20s. I think one of the things that I've always felt that you associate with people like that is this. There's a sense, if you will, of kind of invulnerability or, you know, I can do it. Nothing's going to happen to me. Right. Uh, and I think that was always something that was you, know, you, you had to deal with. Uh, certainly, you didn't want to put, put fear. You didn't want people walking around being fearful. But you also, at the same time, you want them to recognize that. You know, it's, you have a responsibility, too, to make sure that you're okay. So if you see something, tell us. A lot of times, you know, people would say, you know, players would get threats from individuals and that they didn't know. I think that's part of the, the territory that goes with being a, a celebrity or a, right. a figure Special like athlete. that. Yeah. yeah, so, so yeah, those were some of the among players. And then, you know, once in a while there were players who I think just didn't get it, who were still immature and... Uh, were a little bit perhaps uh, reckless in how they how they did things, you know. But as but you one of the things you saw is uh, as years you know, progress, you just look at a player five years into the league and think back when you saw that first saw that player, you can see you know how they change as they as they spend time in the league, they mature. Right, their growth. Mm-hmm. Well, with working with all of these players, did you ever find yourself feeling maybe a little bit starstruck? <laughs> you know that's that's interesting because all of my my friends and his family and you know they would think you know, like, oh man what a great job you know just and, 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 and they're right in a lot of ways I recognize it is but I think if you're a starstruck you 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 put yourself in a position where you can easily fail right uh, so I, I, I was I don't know if I'd call myself actually I certainly was impressed with players you know <laughs> as an athlete a college athlete myself you know I I, I had I had a, thought I had a good feel for athletics and what it meant to be a part of it so I, I wasn't starstruck but I did try to uh, keep in mind that these are people who are very uh, they lead a different life right unlike you and me. You know, they can't they can't sit down to dinner without a bunch of people coming up wanting autographs. Yeah. You know, when we were at the Olympics, you know, my, my first experience was at the the Athens Olympics, and we we could we took the players to the Olympic Village. We did not stay in the village, but we took them there one day. It, you, you, it was like a feeding frenzy. This was just the athletes. These were all athletes from other countries. Uh-huh. It was they were like just you know the NBA players are here, and everybody. They rushed around the place. We had to set up tables and put some rope and stanchion around just so they could sit and kind wow. of, you know, have a little bit of peace with all these other athletes from other countries who in themselves were, you know, you know, had some celebrity, I guess, status around them. They just buzzed around the players. They wanted to get pictures. They wanted to get autographs. Wow, that's crazy to think about. Yep. But it was, all, it was good. It was a good, great experience. I, I met a lot of players who I... You know, I have a lot of respect for it. I, I understand the difficulties that they have to face, uh, not just, you know, to be the best that they can be for themselves, but also the expectation 
sometimes having to live up to what um, perhaps things that weren't really fair people would expect yeah. them to you know do would be certain ways and I don't know you know Charles Barkley once said he wasn't a role model I think when you go into that kind of um, position you are whether you want to be or not but it, it's but I do understand uh, the, you know, the desire for privacy and yeah. want to be just like everybody else sometimes but unfortunately you've got a lot of eyes on you and there's I don't know if there's a lot you can do to, to avoid it Right, and all of that comes with the job. It does. So, all right, well, now it's time for some buzzer beaters. Okay. Okay. All right, coffee or tea? Neither. Neither. What would you rather drink? Uh, unfortunately, I drink too much, probably soda. <laughs> uh, I'm not a coffee drinker. I've never been a coffee drinker. I'll have, at best, maybe two cups a year. And tea, probably same or, or even less. Okay. Uh, who is your favorite sports team? Uh, Buffalo Bills. <laughs> What's your favorite book? My favorite book, boy, oh boy, that's you know I I always when I've had to answer this, this question I, I talk about a book that I remember I've read a lot of books but since there's a book I read back in high school To Kill a Mockingbird. Wow, classic. That, that yeah, that I don't know, just somehow stuck with you. Yeah, it stuck with me, and, and I've seen obviously I've seen the movie a number of times when it's on Turner Classic Movies. I happen to if I happen to notice it, I'll make every effort to watch it or yeah. record it. So it, that's a book that I mean that's a yeah a book that stuck with me over the years. But I, I do like reading uh, mystery novels, uh, mystery type books. Uh, so, what is the fa- what is your favorite place you've traveled to? <sighs> Now that's a tough one because I've been, I've had the good fortune of being traveling all over the world with the, the NBA and some of the NBA. I turned with Coca-Cola. Favorite place? I, you know, I think I would say perhaps South Africa. Wow. Uh, and the reason being, it's, you know, for, for someone who's African-American, that's what, you know, people say that's the motherland, that's where you, you come from. Uh, so partly that, but I think the lessons I learned in South Africa, the things I saw that... Um, that, that made me feel like I was in touch with even you know, my ancestors of sorts, but uh, also there's some of the stuff like the the, the, the visiting Soweto and, it's, and going to a place called the Hector Peterson Museum where you saw uh, the apartheid struggle and you, you saw what happened during that movement and Nancy Mandela. I, you know, those were that was those were some very impactful trips when I visited South Africa. So I think I, that's. That's there, but you know, I've visited so many places. I've I've enjoyed well, all of them, I suppose. Yeah. But the, the South Africa stuck with me as kind of a place I'd like to go again. And I was fortunate enough that some of my family members went to South Africa with me, and they got to see it too. So sharing it with with my couple of my children and my parents that probably helped to make it uh, as memorable as it is was. That's awesome. Do you have a hidden talent? A hidden talent? Like, <laughs> well, when, I'm in the, when I'm in the shower, I'm, I'm Smokey Robinson, Teddy <laughs> Pendergrass, and all those people combined. But, I like, but you know, if I have a particular talent, I would say it's two things. Uh, trivia. Trivia. And, but, but more so uh, music, old music, particularly going back to the 50s and 60s, doo-wop oh. music. And I... That's what people know me as. People are always saying you should go on a TV show. You should do this, and, <laughs> and I just don't know how how it came. I was 
I know the songs I like are, you know, from the 50s. I was just a kid then. Yeah. But I don't remember, but when I listen to them, they, they kind of stick with me. So, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a doo-wop expert, I think <laughs> I would say. Awesome. Well, Bernie, it was amazing to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. I, I enjoyed it. Good luck with, with in your endeavors and in school and all. And, and wish you the very best. Thank you so much. This has been today's episode of Small Talk. As always, I'm your host, Maggie McIntyre. Thank you for listening.